0: What's up, people, and welcome to episode 86 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Macagliano of the USA Today Network. And here we are, four games into the new season, finally starting to feel like things are rolling and we're in a little bit of a rhythm and a routine right now. So we're going to dive into everything that's happened with the Rangers through the first week or so of the season, I do quickly also want to mention this week's guest. We have Julie Stewart Banks. I know her from working at SNY, where she does the sports night show and a few other things for them, but, but she's a hustler. She's all over the map. You may have seen her on TNT or NBC or the NHL YouTube channel. Fubo TV. I mean, she really hustles and is all over the place. But her favorite sport and the sport that she has the most experience covering is hockey. And so Julie is kind of a fun personality and someone that I thought would be interesting to get on the show this week. We talk about her career path. We talk about her experiences covering everything from the OHL to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then, of course, we get into some analysis as far as her favorite storylines of the season in the NHL and which teams she likes and which players she has an eye on and definitely talk some Rangers as well. So we'll get to that interview with Julie in just a little bit. Now, the Rangers are sitting here, as I record, on Wednesday, October 19th at 3-1. They've won three of their first four games. They're coming off of a 6-4 win over the Anaheim Ducks on Monday at Madison Square Garden. Of course, that marked the return, the very early season return of Ryan Strome and Frank Vetrano, who were both key players for the Rangers on their run to the Eastern Conference Final last year. Strome, of course, has much more history here than Vetrano does. Strome was here for three, almost four full seasons. And it was good to catch up with him, met him down near where the Zambonis are prior to the game on Monday. And all smiles, definitely in a really good place, it seems like. You could also tell, though, deep down, I mean, he told us this at the end of the season last year, but deep down, I'm sure there has to be some level of what could have been, wondering what could have been for him because he told us that his preference was to stay here. He was really a critical component as far as what happened behind the scenes, especially building that culture, that winning culture in that locker room. Definitely one of the leaders as well as one of just the the bubbly personalities who I think did a really good job of keeping things loose and, and working and mentoring with some of the young players. So I know a lot of the guys in the locker room right now miss him And I'm quite sure that he misses them. I know that he's still in touch with quite a few of them, Artemi Panarin and Jacob Truba, especially I know he's close with. And I know they all went out to dinner, I think, Sunday night in the city. So Strome was back. And listen, it's kind of a, I shouldn't say a tough situation because it's an enviable situation for a lot of people, but he made a decision, and I think a very logical, reasonable decision to pursue the contract that paid him the most money and gave him the most long-term security as far as the years of that contract go. He's able to get a five-year, $25 million deal from the Ducks. He was not going to get that with the Rangers. He knew that. And so he ultimately had to make the decision that gave him and his family the most long-term financial security. The Ducks, as we saw on Monday, are a team that, that's got some interesting young skill, but they definitely have some holes in that lineup looks like this could still be a development year for them. And for a guy who's coming down off the high of watching this team that he scratched and clawed and bled for really come of age and start making these deep playoff runs, it's got to be a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, but Ryan, you know, as far as I could tell in, in chatting with him for a little bit on Monday, is in a very good place, like he said. It could be worse than living in Southern California. And, and that guy, I've told you guys this before, definitely one of the more genuine, interesting, and just good guys to deal with in the locker room. So he's missed here, I know, by a lot of his teammates and even by the media because he's such a good quote. He really kind of gets what we do. I've said this before. I think that he's a guy that could end up doing some media when when his career is said and done. But Still has a five-year contract to go out, if not more, and we'll see how things play out for him in Anaheim. But as for the game, the Ducks were certainly overmatched. The Rangers' offense right now is clicking. Their power play is converting at a 33% clip. And that, that's a good number, don't get me wrong. I, I was looking at the NHL leaderboard, actually, before I started recording, and the Colorado Avalanche are currently at 50%. I put a big LOL next to that in my notes. So it's early. Obviously, these numbers can look inflated. If you're at 33% for the whole season, the Rangers would be thrilled with that. But I think what's even more telling than the percentage is just the way that they're moving the puck and, and controlling it in the offensive zone and just whipping it around with such purpose. And it's you, you know what they're looking for. I mean, the main thing they seem to always look for is that Mika one-timer from the, from the left circle. And even though teams know it's coming, they still can't seem to stop it. But they have so many other plays that they work off of that. Obviously, you have Kreider at the net front, and he's been set up on a handful of opportunities. I think he only has one goal so far this season. It feels like he's not quite having the good fortune and the luck. That he had last season, but he's had some really high quality chances. I know he definitely leads the Rangers as far as high danger chances are concerned on the power play. So you have him in in front of the net. You have Panarin just roaming and constantly changing angles and constantly giving the defense something else to think about and setting up guys from all different spots on the ice. Panarin is absolutely on fire to start this season. And even what we've seen now in in recent games, especially on Monday, is Vincent Trocek is starting to look really comfortable in that bumper slot. He scored the other night, he set up Mika for a goal the other night, and he just seems to kind of have a a better feel with each passing game for where to position himself, where guys like Panarin and Zabanajad want him in order to set him up for some shots. And he's certainly not shy about pulling the trigger on those shots when he has a look. So the power play has been the, the standout so far. I think it's been one of, if not the biggest reason for the Rangers' success, particularly on Monday night. They almost went four for four in that game. They, they went three for four. And on the fourth power play, they ended up scoring like 22 seconds after the power play had expired. So looking very, very dangerous there. That's such a weapon for them to have. But I also think at five on five, there's been a lot of encouraging signs as far as the offensive production or even just the scoring chances and the offensive looks that they're creating go. Capo Kako, I think, has worked out wonderfully so far on that top line with Zabanajad and Kreider. He has two goals through four games. I was joking with him in the locker room today about that goal that it looked to me in real time on Monday night, he kind of was right in front for a rebound off of a shot from Mika. It looked like he was definitely the guy who finished it off. And the replay seemed to show that as well, but they originally gave the goal to Mika and it took them like a period or so to reverse it and give Kako credit for the goal. So I was joking with him about that today. And he was like, yeah, I don't know what took them so long, which is kind of funny. You know, obviously he takes a lot of pride in scoring when he can, but Kako, I think not just the goals, I think he's looked really, really confident. I, I've liked the way that he looks on the forecheck. I've liked the way that he's controlling the puck in the offensive zone. I, I think his passing ha- has been good as well. I think you're really seeing him gain some comfort with Zabanejad and Kreider. And to me, it looks like that combination could last for quite a while. And even Alexi Lafreniere, who has had the opportunity since Vitali Kratsov got hurt on opening night to play on the second line with Panarin and Trocek, Lafreniere is looking pretty comfortable to me in that spot as well. He's got three points already through four games. So both of those guys are really seizing the opportunities and it's making that top six look whole. It's making that top six look the way that we think it should. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. If you're trying to put your best players in the top six because you know the top six is going to eat up more minutes or most a lot more minutes than, than the bottom six, I should say, that, these are the guys that, that belong in those spots. These are the Rangers' most talented forwards, and it looks like Gerard Gallant for now is planning to keep it that way. We'll get a little bit more into that in a minute. The thing on top of the power play and the kids stepping up in those top six spots that's been standing out to me is the absolutely outstanding play in the early portion of the season from both Panarin and Zabanajad. If you go to the NHL leading scorers page right now, and I'm looking at it Wednesday prior to the Wednesday night games, so it could change by Thursday morning when you hear this podcast. But right now, Panarin with 10 points and Mika with 8 are the top two scorers in the NHL. Those guys have come out of the gate on fire, and it's really something that the Rangers feel like they can hang their hat on right now. And I actually had this conversation with Mika today I'm going to write about it, I think, at some point soon. And it's something that we've talked about for years. But I was talking with Mika a little bit about my very first press conference with David Quinn, who's going to be returning to the Garden as the head coach of the San Jose Sharks on Thursday. The very first time that I heard Quinn talk in person was at the introductory press conference for Artemi Panarin in 2019. And I remember vividly at that press conference, Quinn said, our plan is to have a top line of Panarin, Zabanajad, and Buchnevich. We saw that combination for, I don't know, a couple games. And it really, for the vast majority of the last three seasons and now this season, has been Mika on one line, Panarin on the other. It's almost become a part of this team's identity. And I know... Many people have clamored for, and I have admittedly been very curious and written about it myself, to see what it would look like if you gave Panarin and Jad an extended look together. But as I was saying to Mika today, and, and he, he very much seems comfortable with the current arrangement, it seems like to me, they get their time together on the power play, which is incredibly dynamic, as we just touched on. But then at five on five, it's just so difficult for other teams to defend that because Of the separation between those two. And when they're both playing at this type of a level and the Rangers have two lines that feel like such major threats to score almost every time they're on the ice, it's a headache for opposing coaches to deal with. And again, to me, it's really become part of the Rangers identity right now. And both of those guys, at least from the early going, look like they are poised for big seasons. I did a mailbag, a written mailbag this week, and one of the questions was, Could I see them both scoring 100 points this season? Well, that's only been done twice in the history of this franchise. I looked this up. One was 1971, 72. They actually almost had three guys with that line of Jean Rattel, Vic Hadfield, and Rod Gilbert. Rattel and Hadfield were the guys who went over 100 points, and Gilbert was just under, I think, at 97, And then the other time it happened was 91-92 when Mark Messier and Brian Leach both went over 100 points. So it's very rare. It's only happened 66 times in the entire history of the NHL. But if there's a pair of guys that can do it, as far as the pairs that the Rangers have had in the last 30 years, Panarin and Zibanejad seem as well equipped to maybe pull that off as anybody since Messier and Leach did it back in the early 90s. So I'm not necessarily predicting that, but I think you can envision, especially with the way that they've been playing early on, that these two guys might both be in for special seasons. So when you have two guys playing like that at the top of your lineup and leading your offense, when your power play is clicking the way that it is, and when the young forwards especially are stepping up and playing as well as they have been, that has been... A recipe for success for the most part for the Rangers other than that one loss that they had in Winnipeg on Saturday which was the third game and three out of four nights and you know there's a variety of reasons why you might be able to look at that and say okay they weren't quite at their best or at their sharpest that night. Now the one thing that both the players and Gerard Gallant have been somewhat critical of is the defense and I do agree If you've watched these games that there have been some pretty glaring breakdowns and there's also been some occasional sloppy play with the puck where I feel like they're not breaking it out all that cleanly and you know we've seen some turnovers in the neutral zone as well. So there have been these mistakes that they make and it becomes more jarring because a handful of them have led to goals. It happened twice in the third period of that game on Monday against the Ducks. The Rangers had the game in hand. The result was not in doubt I would say but I still think it annoyed them a little bit to be giving up those late goals, especially for the sake of Igor Shosturkin. They know that he's such a big part of what they do and has stood on his head for them so many times. I don't think they like the idea of bloating his goals against average or his save percentage in any way. So I do think that that's been something that's been irking them. And that's certainly come across in some of the interviews that we've done in the last few days. And I think that's, that's a great thing for this team from this standpoint. To me, it speaks to this prevailing attitude that they have that just winning isn't enough. They're not just satisfied anymore with collecting two points. Of course, that's the ultimate goal in each one of these games. But, but this team has the big picture in mind. They're not just looking at trying to get as many wins as they can. They're looking on building and building And building. So when they get to the playoffs, they are as ironed out and as tight defensively as they possibly can be because they know that for them to accomplish what is their ultimate goal of winning a Stanley Cup, they need to hold themselves to a really high standard. So that's a great sign that this is a 3-1 team that doesn't sound like it's super thrilled with that when you talk to them and they're pointing out mistakes and they're trying to fix things. And they seem to be aggressively tacking these defensive mistakes that we've seen in some of these games. But I will also note that the numbers really aren't that bad. If you look at high danger scoring chances, the Rangers will often call, call them grade A scoring chances, which honestly, I know that is how they judge themselves above all else, as far as how well they're playing defense. They want to limit those high danger scoring chances as much as possible. They don't want shots from the net front and the slot and those dangerous areas. They want to make sure they're keeping the opponent to the outside, is how Gerard Gallant always talks about it. And and if you look at the high danger chances, and I, I broke this down for the mailbag, and I looked at ClearSight Analytics, which we know Steve Valliquette runs, and to me is a little more accurate than what you'll find on a lot of the publicly available sites. Well, they have the Rangers allowing 31 high danger chances so far this season, which works out to an average of under eight per game. It's 7.75. That's a number you can live with. Now, ideally, if you could get that number into the six range or even the five range, I mean, five range would be really, really good. That would be up there with the best defensive teams in the league. If you could lower that number a little bit from where it's at right now, I'm sure they'd be thrilled with that. That's something certainly to strive for. But you look on the other end, they're averaging close to 12 high danger chances of their own per game. So if you're only allowing about eight, but you're generating about 12, well, you're going to generally take that on most nights. And the other thing that I think stands out even more is the shot totals right now. The Rangers last year, for most of the season, we're averaging over 30 shots allowed on goal per game. They, they lowered that just a smidge under 30 by the end of the season. And I shouldn't say per game. I'm actually looking at per 60. This is, this is all at five on five I'm talking now. So at five on five per 60 minutes, they were averaging for most of the season over 30. By the end of the season, it was like 29.6. On the other hand, the numbers so far this season tell you that the Rangers are second in the NHL with an average of 24.4 shots on goal per game. So the, the amount of shots that they are giving up each game is down significantly from where it was last season. So if you're allowing fewer shots and you're keeping the high danger chances in that seven to eight range against per game, those are not terrible defensive numbers. Those are actually pretty good defensive numbers. So I think they want to address the problems that they see that don't always necessarily show up in the numbers. And some of those, as, we've, as I said, have resulted clearly in goals. But I don't think that this is any cause for alarm. I don't think the defense has been terrible by any stretch. So overall, I think you have to feel really good about where this team is at. And now they're fully healthy. For the first time all season, and I say all season, it's been a week, but for the first time so far this season, they had all 23 active players on the ice together for practice on Wednesday. Now, the 23-man roster, we saw it for one full practice, but it didn't last very long because just before we started recording here, Word came down that the Rangers have placed Dryden Hunt on waivers. I actually wrote in my mailbag that went up this morning on Wednesday morning that I was expecting Hunt to go on waivers any day now, so this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. This is an anticipated move. I've been talking to you guys for weeks about the salary cap accrual process and how the Rangers. Carrying 23 players was not going to be a situation that they could maintain for too long if they wanted any chance of accruing any kind of salary cap space that would be worth their while once the trade deadline comes along on March 3rd. So they were going to have to send somebody down. They were kind of buying themselves some time because they had some injuries at the end of camp and in that opening night game with Kratsov. So they decided to hold on to Hunt for a little bit just to make sure they can get through that spell, and they did end up using Hunt for a couple games, so it was needed. I also think they're hoping now, because teams have mostly settled on their roster, that putting Hunt through waivers while training camp was still going on might have made him more vulnerable to getting claimed by another team. I think they're hoping that doing it a week or so into the season, that teams are Maybe going to be less likely to jump on it. There's still a risk here for sure, but ultimately it's a risk that they had to take because they want to accrue as much salary cap space as possible looking ahead to that trade deadline. They were sitting at about $180,000 in salary cap space with the 23 man roster but now that they have sent hunt down or will hope to send hunt down to Hartford if he doesn't get claimed they're going to be sitting on about 950,000 in cap space. So that's not only a huge difference for right now, it really doesn't mean all that much to them right now, but through the accrual process, they can turn that 950 into about 4 million dollars or so by the time we get to the trade deadline whereas if they sat on 180 all season they would only be able to accrue about 800000 by the time they got to the trade deadline. So that's a massive difference as far as what kind of players they can acquire at the deadline. And whether they're going to make a big splash or not, they want to have the flexibility and the option to do so. And that's why sending Hunt down was a necessity for them. And now they'll keep their fingers crossed that he clears so they can send him to Hartford because I do think in the event of Of an injury to any of the forwards currently on the NHL roster, Hunt would be at the very top of the list of guys that they would like to be able to recall. So now they move down to 22 men. That still does mean, though, that somebody among the forwards is going to have to get scratched for Thursday's game against San Jose. And the indications that I'm seeing based on the practice combinations and the line rushes and all that is that Vitaly Kratsov, even though he has been cleared to play from that upper body injury that he suffered in the first game of the season, I did talk to him briefly today and he said he's feeling good, it seems like they're gonna make him wait just a little bit longer. The first line rushes we saw today had that top six that we talked about. The third line was Sammy Blay, Philip Heedle, and Barclay Gaudreau, And the fourth line was Jimmy VC. Ryan Carpenter, who had that nasty skate cut in Winnipeg, but seems to be doing fine now, and Ryan Reeves. So I think that is the lineup that we're going to see on Thursday. I think Vitali Kratsov will be a healthy scratch. I do firmly still believe that at some point you're going to see him make his way back into the NHL lineup, most likely on that third line. He was skating today as kind of an extra on that third line. I think ultimately what the Rangers will do is plug him in on the third line and move either Blay or Goudreau down to the fourth line, which would then force probably VC or Ryan Reeves to, to go out of the lineup as a healthy scratch. I think that's ultimately what they're going to do. But because they're playing well right now, because they're winning right now, I don't think Gerard Gallant is too anxious to make that move. I think it's probably going to take a loss or something that he sees that he doesn't like in order to make him finally make that decision and put Kratzoff back in there. But it does not look like that's going to be the case for Thursday night. We'll see how long it lasts. So with that, We've been talking for a while here. It's kind of a longer opening segment than I planned, but I guess that's how these things go sometimes. For now, though, let's transition and let's get to our interview with Julie, and then I will be back following that to dive into some of your questions. Now let's welcome in this week's guest. Julie Stewart Binks you've seen her on SNY that's where I first got to know her a little bit working together there a bit TNT for the playoffs especially last year NBC I know you're you're working on the show drinks with Binks on Fubo TV right now so a lot of stuff going on Julie when do you do you sleep I know you did SNY last night I know so it's like uh, you seem to be juggling so many things which is great for you I'm really happy for you but it, it seems like your schedule is pretty hectic
1: well, first, Vince, it is an honor to be on the pod and talk with you. As you mentioned, we chatted on SNY last year. You had some long flow going. I remember that because it looked like we had dueling flows on TV. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, man, that guy's hair is way better than mine and he doesn't have extensions. But uh, <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I don't sleep, but that's for a different reason. I am a big sleep talker. I'm just I'm just yib yabbering all night long. Um, but for the most part, like it sounds like I'm I'm always busy. It's just because I'm it's like I have a lot of extracurricular activities, but not not I'm not competitive in one of them. They're just all different fun clubs and things that I'm doing. But it's it's great to be able to kind of do a whole bunch of different stuff. And and that is because being at FUBO TV, being able to do so many other different things. I love that because, you know, there's, it's really great these days in media. There's so many different opportunities and coming from Canada where it was kind of like Tetris. Like it was like, you could only get a job if someone else left and people didn't leave. And so I was lucky like in Saskatchewan where I lived where, sorry, I moved to Saskatchewan for a job because someone left the sports um, sports desk and went to the morning show. So that was like the first time a job had opened up in like 25 years. So that's what it was like in Canada, at least for me. And so coming down here, there's just such a proliferation of opportunities. It's it's, it's fun every single day.
0: It, it, it's awesome. You're crushing it. I, I I was joking with you before. I was looking for some fa- I'm, I'm a fantasy football player and I was looking at some, some stuff online recently. I saw you on with Matthew Barry and I was like, oh, I didn't know she did fantasy football. So <laughs> I got a kick out of that. But I, I also know that hockey seems to have a special place in your heart. I know you told me that's your number one. And, and that's one of the reasons that I thought of you to come on the pod. So tell me about your your love affair with hockey, obviously, Canadian. So I'm sure that helps. But but wh- where does it kind of start for you?
1: Yeah, it definitely starts in Toronto, which is a love affair. Definitely, It has an up and down curve for <laughs> for sure. But being a Leafs fan growing up, I played hockey. I was a competitive competitive figure skater first. And then I decided to play hockey because I could skate. And like, my mom was like, you should play hockey. And I was like, okay. And she, I still, I played like men's league at Chelsea Piers. um, And I was nervous to go recently because I hadn't played the whole pandemic. And I was like, oh, I don't want to get a concussion. not be able to talk on TV the next day. Like, Not anything about the game, more like how is the game going to destroy my body because it (laughs) likely will. My mom was like, remember, honey, when you went to your first hockey game and you didn't know the rules? And I was like, yeah. And I also wore figure skates. I was like, oh, my God, I played hockey with an on an old all boys team in figure skates for the first time. Oh, my God. Like the uh, absolute embarrassment. But whatever. I played with those guys for ever growing up and they eventually started passing me the puck like four or five years in. And then, um, just, just playing hockey pretty much my entire life, not like really competitively just like house league. And then I went to university in Canada and decided to do some local TV stuff, mostly because my mom, my mom has had a very big influence on my life, but she was a radio broadcaster, TV broadcaster in Canada so she's like, "Oh, you should volunteer for this." I was like, "Okay, mom." I realized my the book on my life is just going to be like, "Okay, mom, like whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever." Okay, sure, I'll try that thing, and I loved it, of course. And then was able to do like local TV stuff in Kingston, Ontario, because I went to Queen's University and did like the Kingston Frontenac for TV Kojiko. And after I did my masters, I came back, did a lot of OHL stuff, which was all volunteer, and I would like would travel to either the Frontenacs and like stay with friends in in Kingston or then go to Niagara and live in my grandma's retirement residence and cover the Ni- Niagara Ice Dogs which was actually like a really sweet time because I got to spend a lot of time with my grandma there and then go to the games and and just get reps and get like a demo together and so I was so fortunate then I worked with the Boston Bruins in their scouting combine because their scouts saw me like every game. And they were like, Hey, you watch these guys all the time. You know, their personalities come work with us. So I was like, what? Like media gets going to a combine room. That, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Cause now a lot of those players are still in the league, of course, and kind of seeing how the scouts grilled them or how they liked them. Didn't like them was interesting. And they were very much like, Curious about body language. Like if scouts are one of the most interesting group of people in the entire world.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. That's
1: another conversation, I guess. But then, yeah, long story short, worked in Saskatchewan. I was a reporter at CTV Regina. Shout out Regtown city that runs with fun. And I covered the WHL Regina Pats, Moose Shell Warriors, Swift Current Broncos, Prince Albert Raiders, you name it. And then, I magically got a job in LA probably by mistake, but I got there and then got to cover the LA Kings and was the Anaheim Ducks sideline reporter for three seasons. So that was one of the best jobs I've ever had. Um, You know what it's like. You had to travel with the team. You get to be like the, it's all about the people and like the Ducks broadcasters were so fun. We had the best time on the road ever. And as they were just, in town recently in new york and the new york area and like every time they come to town they're like all right like let's meet up where are we going i haven't worked for them since 2016 and so it's just great to see that like the industry's so small but like the hockey world's so small too so I've been able to keep in touch with them too and like i i was just telling my boyfriend before but yeah, one of the assistant coaches mike Stothers, like he was he was the head coach of the Moose Jaw Warriors when I was in Saskatchewan. And so it's just so small, small of a world to be looking at him on the bench at MSG the other night. And I'm like, man, I used to cover that guy in Moose Jaw every day, 10 years ago. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite a love affair. I, I love hockey. I'd I'd love to be doing more than I am now. And I'm hoping to this season, but um For those who know, it's like, it's in your blood or it's not, you know, that's just what it is.
0: It's, that is quite the journey. (laughs) I definitely want to hear some, some stories from those scouting meetings at some point. I don't know if we'll get, get I didn't have to
1: sign an NDA. So I mean, (laughs) like it's some it's all out there, but it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that... lesson in psychology for sure.
0: Oh yeah. They, I mean, they pour over every little way that they could judge a person's character. Like they, they're, they're all about it. It's crazy what they go through mm-hmm. those prospects. So I, your hockey journey, like I touched on you, you're covering a lot of different stuff now. And you know, I, I watch you on SNY all the time and all that, but I know last year, you did get a chance to cover the playoffs. You did some stuff for TNT. So what was that experience like? Do you have any favorite memories, stories from, from that whole experience?
1: Oh, gosh, like Vince, it was my dream job. Like it was, you know, how you work in this world, in this industry, and you know, whoever's listening, whatever job you have, and you, you like think and dream about that job. And it's like, then you, you actually, you actually get it. And it was like, I was, I was so shocked. I mean, it was very quick. It happened like the week It happened like the Thursday before the playoff starting, like, I got on the Monday and my birthday was on the Saturday and I like shut it down. I was like, no birthday happening. Cause like, I was like, I can't get COVID and ruin this opportunity. <laughs> so I was so pumped. And I also told TNT, I was like, cause I was on Toronto, Tampa. I'm like, Hey, I'm from Toronto. Just so you guys know, like, I don't want that to be a conflict of interest. They're like, Oh no, like you can help tell the pulse and the stories of the city and the fans. I was like, "Man, that's a very good point. So I saw Nabil Kareem who had worked at TSN doing NBA Raptors and he had lived in Toronto. And I was like, Oh, okay. Interesting. You know, they, they're kind of tapping into that in a way. So got to, I mean, it was, it was, it was so incredible. Like it was getting to work with, of course, a lot of the guys at the New York area would know, um, Brendan Burke and Butch Goring and Jen Bodero for my first game, which was game three in Tampa, Toronto, um, Toronto against Tampa. And that was, it was so cool. And I've done a lot of different types of reporting, whether it was obviously at the deck sideline to MLS sideline for ESPN and Fox and then college football and, you just learn that role is unique in that like, it's so much about being a team player versus even like getting stuff on air. And what TNT did, which was fascinating was they put a reporter on every series and then the announcers would just sort of fly into the games. So I was on the series and then like, I met Brendan and Butch and Jen literally like 20 minutes before puck drop because they had flown in from Colorado. And I was like, hi guys. um, like, here's, here's everyone's notes for the game. Like I was like handing out, you know, treasure trail like instructions or something of like how to, what's going on. And the next game, like with Edzo, John Forslund, Keith Jones, I was in the coaches meetings in the morning with like Sportsnet and TVI. And it was just me from TNT. So I was like, okay, like Julie, you better, you know, make sure you get all the right information. And then I would take it, and give it to the guys like how it would best suit them younger jsp would have been like i'm the only one here like i get all this information to myself and they can figure it out like not that kind of malicious but you know you're kind of like hungry for spotlight hungry for time yeah and i was just like no like you know sheldon keeps talking about pierre engvall and kiev like jonesy you're right between the benches that's yours or like edzo here's some like good analysis stuff like John here's some like maybe bigger picture things just try to like help out the the people as much as possible and then I would take like my hits would never come from a lot of that stuff it would come from I like finding stuff that no one is going to have like I know for sure that no one is going to say what I'm going to say so I had the one I'm most proud of from my short time there was like being able to get Bruce Arians on the phone, of course, former NFL Super Bowl winning head coach for Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who won the Super Bowl when John Cooper won his first Stanley Cup in two thousand in two thousand. Yeah, no, in uh in twenty twenty. And so I was able to get Bruce Arians on the phone talking about John Cooper, which was really cool in the first place. And then, you know, having him give me good stuff where I was like, what's Coop remind you of or what, you know, he's like, Oh, he's a lot like Bill Belichick. Like he's very calculated. You know, he's got, every, he's, he's one, he's playing chess. Everyone's playing checkers and, but Bill's way more animated. Like John's super cool on the bench. So then like that, that works itself in really well into a game or like I mentioned Mike Stuthers, Mooshaw Warriors. That was when uh, Morgan Riley and Braden Point played together on the same team. These are very like, you know, specific stats from back in the day. I was like, I'm determined to get a Moostrat Warriors story on, on the broadcast. And we almost did. My producer, uh, Steve, who does the Islanders, was just fantastic. He was all up ready to do whatever he wanted. But what you learn is like, this is a saying in, in writing, you know, it's like you have to be able to kill your darlings where people don't realize um whether you're in the game or outside the game like you'll have stuff you want to add you'll have stuff that you want to put in and you're like i can add i can add like you guys are talking about cory perry i got ryan gets on cory perry i got ryan gets on cory perry and you're just like reminding your producer who's doing five hundred thousand things and then the story changes and cory perry is no longer relevant and you're like okay we move on and you just have to like be able to like that story we can maybe that will resurface at some other point but right now that's not the story move on um, you know, jab something on goaltending or whatever. So it, it it just like takes, it takes like a certain level of, of maturity and understanding like that it's not about you. And you are like n- nearly just facilitating the broadcast, which takes, I think a lot of people, at least it took me a while to figure that out. But anyway, getting to be at the, you know, rink every day, I had missed it so much covering like my hometown team who was very difficult to work with, to be honest, but Like they, I was like, I'm from Toronto. I went over, I was like, hi guys, I'm from Toronto. And they just like, all, all the staff just kind of looked at me. I was like, cool. I'm going to walk back. And like (laughs) Tampa Tampa was so easy to work with because they'd won two cups in a row. Like, of course they're going to let me do whatever I want. And I knew John Cooper when he won the Calder trophy with, uh, the Norfolk admirals back in like 2012, I was at, uh, like a cup party and I met him there. So it was, you know, good relationships, but long story short is like, you kind of realize like what relationships you've had and the people that like everything will come to fruition at some point. And I look at that with like Ryan Strom, I covered him with the Niagara ice dogs. Then he's with, you know, the New York Rangers last year. And then he's with the ducks. I'm like, man, Ryan Strom and I have had like almost like weird, oddly weird intertwined careers. <laughs> him way more successful than me but it's uh it, it's really interesting to kind of see everything come full circle when you get an opportunity but sadly i got covid during that and uh which i literally was melted dead like not actual i was just very depressed and the worst part Vince i'll just say was i got covid in toronto i was very diligent about my mask wearing about everything so i just didn't want it i didn't want something to sideline this incredible opportunity Obviously didn't want to hurt anyone else, but I, I got it and I was then in a hotel in Toronto that was right across the street from Scotiabank arena. And it was literal torture to know a game seven was going on across the street of Mm -hmm. which I would have been on in my hometown. And I could hear the goal horn from the hotel go off before the TV So I remember just sitting in that room in quarantine, like I'm not a reporter anymore. I'm like, I'm back into just hopelessly tormented Leafs fan zone. And when it was 2-1 with the time winding down the third and like not hearing that horn go, I was like, I think I just like yelled out into the abyss of that hotel room in quarantine. (laughs) Like it was a dark, dark place, but I was just happy to get the two games regardless.
0: Yeah, that's brutal. That's real. But yeah, and then you did come back for the later rounds though, right?
1: Not for TNT. I was just hired for the first round. So it's kind of like, well, too bad you got COVID.
0: <laughs> but I saw you on the ice at the, at, at the Stanley Cup final. Yes,
1: yeah, so I worked for the NHL. I was really fortunate. They ha- We did a third a thing called third period um, live show out of the NHL offices where we watched the third period of the conference final. So we watched the East and we watched the West. And so, you know, it's right down the street from MSG. So we did all the Rangers games, you know, we did the Avs and the Oilers. And then I went on the road for the Stanley Cup with Jackie Redmond from NHL Network and TNT for Stanley Cup Live, which is fun because it was just all, you know, no commercials, just on YouTube, bringing as many guests that are sort of outside the game as possible to sort of like have a little bit of fun. And on media day, I did like two hours by myself of just like a live stream of, of just like grabbing people, players, whoever was walking by, like Joe Sackick was walking by and I'm like, Joe, come on in, like, come on into my (laughs) office right now. Meanwhile, I don't know if these people are even like, if they have like, oh, we don't speak on these days or we don't speak to these people. Mm -hmm. I was just like, come on. And, you know, if, and if they come over and talk to you, like, that's just what happens. So I, I really love that.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully get another shot at it this year. We'll see how it goes.
1: Hoping, hoping. Yeah.
0: Last thing I want to ask you before I let you get out of here is just your read on the new season. Like anything that you're especially excited about any, any teams that you feel really strongly about, like what, what are you looking forward to this season?
1: well it's a it's so fascinating because it's like even as we've gotten off to just a week into the season or whatnot like there's so many storylines and really it's like looking at the coaches too and and how long a leash that they have and what we see with the rangers and like David Quinn coming back in this week with San Jose they're zero and five at the moment of recording um but like even with the Leafs and Keith and Lindy Ruff getting his first win with the Devils the other night but you know because the coaches are always like the first one hand up like we're you're hired to be fired but I I do think it's interesting if you know we're very much in New York in New York right now what's really been exciting is seeing sort of Capocaccio step into his zone and and showing us like those highlights that he had from Traverse City and like this is the guy and I was at the game the other night I'm like man somehow he always scores and I'm at the game I'm like this is just absolutely wild the one thing is you like to see him doing well on that top line with with Kreider and Mika and then um, Alexi Lafreniere being able to be working out on the right side in the second line because then you know you can have some fun to mix and match in that bottom six. Little worried about the defense, little leaky at this point. Cause, like, even though they won against the Ducks in that game, Igor saw four goals on however many 20 shots or something like that. So, not necessarily their best, but hey, sometimes you just got to win games by scoring and you figure out the rest in the back end. Um, I think that they're going to be obvious. I picked them to win last year, so I still think that they have a lot of gas. Left in the tank, and this is without like the trade deadline acquisitions, which will be inevitable. Um, and some of the injuries are a little bit concerning, but I think seeing the Torts effect in Philadelphia, I was saying to my boyfriend before, I'm like, it's like John Tortorella is like a hot crazy person you date, where like at the beginning it's like awesome, and like wow, this is so cool, and like they're gonna be my date to the prom, and like we're the best, and then it's like devolves into like, well, they're reading my phone and stalking me and like
0: this is like (laughs) that's a great analogy yeah
1: right like it's (laughs) like that and i i like torts as i feel like i would be john tortorella as a coach but which i guess is like a little weird but i love that he just kind of is this like rough and tough ground and pounds, no nonsense type of guy, but that can get old on a lot of players and that can kind of fall on deaf ears too, as we've seen in a number of different places. But I think them, I think the metropolitan has been really interesting to watch. They've been, you know, there's so many good teams and then Ottawa, you know, Ottawa is just, I was fascinating. You know, I hate the sense so much. I'd say that I'm from Toronto. I hate them. Um, and <laughs> And again, Toronto, Toronto, man, what did we a see A lot of people happen? are picking
0: them to win the cup. It's like, uh, how, I guess, how? yeah, we haven't learned our lesson, I guess.
1: Like you got a goaltender who's injury prone and he got injured. Like, you know, I just, I'm, I'm worried about Jake Muzzin, a lot of miles on that guy. And I mean, you still have your main top scorers. You have some good defense, but it just hasn't really clicked yet for them, but I do think it's going to be um, I think we're going to see some surprises like it just I, I just love the beginning of the season because it's like overreaction, but also like you have to win these games where <laughs> they come back and buy you at the end of the season, did, especially did even I, by the by like Thanksgiving, right? It's like the Thanksgiving litmus test.
0: Did, did I catch so, you right? Are you, are you playing to the home crowd here or did you say you picked the Rangers to win the whole thing?
1: I, I mean, I, I actually haven't placed a bet yet because I, I did last year and the odds weren't good. Like, it was like plus eleven hundred for the Rangers to win the Cup, and then they went up way more. I was like, why did I do that at the beginning of the season? Like, I gotta, I gotta, I'm waiting. I'm gonna wait to get my like futures in. But yes, I think if you're not, if you're, if you can't do it now, like when are you gonna do it? It's gonna be this year or next year. But I do believe that they. I mean, they could have beaten that Tampa team and listening to Cooper last year, he keeps, they could have been playing Toronto just so you know, so you guys were, uh, he keeps going (laughs) back to that game six against Toronto and it's like, okay, okay. Like Tampa definitely hasn't also gotten off to a great start, but I think that, uh, the Rangers are in the best position to come out of the East. Let's just say.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I, you know what? Like you mentioned the defense and I know that, that, that they've harped on that a little bit so far this season. There's a few things they got to clean up there, but if you look at, if you look at some of the numbers, like it really hasn't been that bad. The shots they're allowing mm-hmm. are way down. Uh, the scoring chances really haven't been that bad. There's been some glaring mistakes that they've made, but the offense, especially the power play is, oh, is hum- man. it's humming right now. And you know, you look at the star power they have. I mean, I think, Panarin and Mika both look like they're, they're going to have huge years. Yes. I, I, Igor, a lot of people would argue is now the best goalie in the world. I know the best is, yeah. people don't, don't like that, but I, they have a lot of pieces in place that make you feel really good about their chances. If those kids can all take that next step and pull their and weight. It feels
1: like they can, like if they can just slot like in, can. it just, yeah. it sucks for Hedl, but like if he can then just sort of like corral the bottom six and like work, work out in that way, then like you have those guys that you, had early round picks with slot into those high positions and then everything else can kind of figure itself out you have best goaltender in the world I do believe it is Igor and like Panarin looked so stealthy the other night against the Ducks man did that laser absolute laser he had to just beat John Gibson was out of this world um and, and Gibson made some pretty good saves on him too earlier in the game but they are, and I mean Mika is just next level too. So
0: Mika, I yeah. think to me that's been like one of my hot takes this preseason is I think you I would make the argument at this point that the Mika is an even more important player to them than Panarin. Yes, I and, agree. And, and Mika, the way he took off in the playoffs last year, he looks like he's poised to. I think do some big things this year, as long as he stays healthy. So I, I, I'm yeah. kind of on the same page with you. I'm not making any, any Stanley cup predictions quite yet, but they, they look like a team that's going to be in the mix right now for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Play to the home crowd. Right. And doing Well, so <laughs> yeah, better yeah. than my hometown crowd at the moment. So and I,
0: I told saying I was reading a lot of predictions where people were taking the Leafs to win and I was like, I know Did I missed something here. Too,
1: and I was like, come on guys. Like, isn't this the definition of insanity? Yeah. But you know. whatever. I'm just, I'm from Toronto. So I can say that.
0: You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. All right, Julie. Well, I got to get to practice. I really, really appreciate you taking the time, especially after I know you worked late last night. So thanks so much for coming. No, on thank us.
1: you. This is an honor to be on Vince McCogliano's podcast. That's I'm a huge fan. So you're keep overselling up the it. Great
0: work. You're overselling <laughs> it, but I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Big thanks to Julie for coming on the show after working a late night the previous night before that on SNY. Really do appreciate the time. As I mentioned, she is absolutely crushing it and bouncing around and doing stuff for all different kinds of outlets right now. So kudos for her for moving down here and and doing everything she can to make a name for herself and, and, and really doing an excellent job across multiple sports. But of course, as you can tell, hockey is the one that is definitely closest to her heart. So Thanks to Julie. Hopefully we'll have her on again sometime down the line. And for now, let's get into this week's questions. Now, I mentioned that I had done a written mailbag, which I like to do once every month or so, on Wednesday. So a lot of these questions I'm going to pull from there and were addressed in that written mailbag, which I definitely encourage everybody to go check out at loha.com. Slash sports slash rangers. I'm going to get into a couple of the questions that I didn't get to answer in that mailbag, so we'll address them here instead. But I'm also looking now because the hunt news did just break a little while ago, and I'm getting a lot of questions about why he was the guy that they decided to waive and exactly what this means for the salary cap situation moving forward. So I just want to expand on that a little bit as sort of our first question here. Why Hunt? I think it became fairly obvious when Jimmy Vc had the kind of camp that he did and the Rangers decided to give him that one-year contract that he had surpassed Hunt in the pecking order. And a big reason why, a big advantage that he has over Hunt is that he kills penalties and Hunt does not. I know that might be a little too simplistic, or that might not be everybody's favorite answer to that question, but I absolutely believe that is part of it. The Rangers want fourth liners who will kill penalties because they, beyond Kreider and Zabanajad and Trocheck. if you look further up in the lineup, there's not that many guys that do it. Obviously, Barclay Goudreau is a guy they're going to lean on a lot in that role, but that's only four guys as far as the forwards are concerned. So you need forwards at the bottom of your roster who will kill penalties for you. That's why the Rangers like Ryan Carpenter and that's why they like Jimmy VC. So, I think VC has had a pretty clear advantage over Hunt. He hasn't given you much offensively so far this season, but I do think he's been very solid defensively. I actually don't think he's been on the ice for a goal against yet this season. So, the Rangers are liking what they're getting from VC right now. It does look like moving forward at least until Krotzoff gets back in the lineup that VC is going to hold down that left wing spot on the fourth line and he was the guy that was directly in competition with Dryden Hunt for that role now Hunt brings elements that VC doesn't i think he's a stronger skater i think he's a more physical player so i know Gerard Gallant likes him for those aspects of his game And as I mentioned, I do think the Rangers are really hoping that he'll clear waivers and they can stash him in Hartford and possibly recall him in the event of an injury. But it really kind of came down to VC and Hunt. I know a lot of people are talking about Ryan Reeves. There is, in my mind, unless his play really falls off a cliff months into the season, they're certainly not going to make that decision yet. But if, if we're two, three, four months into the season and Reeves is struggling Maybe at that point is when they might consider a waivers type of a move with him. But we've talked about how much he's loved in that locker room, how much the Rangers love his veteran leadership and his presence and that intimidation factor that he brings. And even though he doesn't fight very often, we saw in Minnesota that when he needs to step up or wants to step up for his team, he's very, very capable of still doing that, and I know that was a big rallying point for the Rangers in that first road game of the year against the Wild. So Reeves is not going anywhere. It wouldn't shock me if he gets some healthy scratches in the next few weeks if, let's say, Kratsoff gets into the lineup and then the Rangers are looking at a fourth line that has, let's just say, Goudreau and Carpenter on it. Maybe they might want to keep VC in there for some games instead of Reeves, but I still think that Reeves is going to be a guy that they lean on quite a bit as this season goes on. Not so much from a playing a lot of minutes standpoint, but just a guy that they still view as an important part of the team. Not just for the stuff he does on the ice, but also for the stuff that he does off the ice. So that kind of left Hunt as the obvious odd man out. And now moving forward, what this means for their salary cap situation, as I touched on, is that they're looking toward the deadline at potentially we should kind of look at this as a working number of $4 million in salary cap space that they can work with at the deadline. You heard Jeff Marrick talk about it last week on the podcast that it's not going to be feasible for the Rangers to go out and get a big name. The name that continuously comes up is Patrick Kane straight up with that $4 million in cap space. They would need a three-way deal to do that. But I also still firmly believe, and I wrote about this in the mailbag a bit, that the Rangers, especially if Kako and Lafreniere take off and run with those positions in the top six, which looks right now like they have a chance to do, they might end up looking at more of a third line type of forward at the trade deadline. And if you have about $4 million to spend, you could probably go out and get a pretty good one. So That is the goal, and that to me is rightfully the priority when it comes to the roster construction and the salary cap space right now. As much as you would like to protect Hunt, Hunt is somewhat expendable. You have other forwards in Hartford who could play that kind of a role if needed in the event of injury. They feel strongly about the 13 forwards that they have remaining on the roster. Those are the guys that won those jobs and rose to the top over the course of camp. And now they'll move forward with them and adjust if needed. But getting to a point where they can make a move at the deadline is a much bigger priority to me and obviously to them than it is to protect a guy who might be in your lineup some nights, might not, and is kind of replaceable given some of the depth that you have with VC and with the guys in Hartford. So that is kind of the summation of why Hunt ended up getting waived on Wednesday. Let's move to our next question. This was part of that mailbag mix that I didn't get to answer in the story, so we'll talk about it a little bit here. This one comes from Fighter 14 who wrote, is the gap between defenseman line two and three as bad as it sometimes seems. So he's talking about the, the bottom pair versus the top two pairs. There is definitely a gap there. I mean, the bottom pair, for the most part, has been Braden Schneider and Zach Jones. Libor Hayek did get that one game in Winnipeg. I think Galant, I don't want to make it sound like a charity case, but I think Galant will pick occasional spots to try to work Hayek in there, just because from a personal standpoint, it kind of stinks for the guy to have to sit there and, and not, not play the whole season the way that he did last year. So I think they will pick occasional spots, but obviously Jones is the preference right now. But when you have Jones and Schneider, the inexperience goes without saying. I think they want to see them prove that they can handle it. I think for the most part, those two guys have handled their assignments pretty well up to this point. But When you have top two pairs like the Rangers do with Fox and Lindgren and Miller and Truba, it makes a whole lot of sense to lean on those guys because those are two very, very good pairs. And if you look at the usage so far this season, Fox is leading the team with an average of 23 minutes and 44 seconds time on ice per game. Truba and Miller are second and third. Both of those guys are up around 22 minutes per game. And then you've got Lindgren, who's around 19 minutes per game. So I don't think that's necessarily overusing those guys. I think especially Foxtruba and Miller are guys that expect to play 20-plus minutes a night. And if you can lean on them against the best players on the opposing team, those are obviously the matchups that the Rangers are going to want. Jones and Schneider, on the other hand, are both averaging about 14 to 15 minutes per night. And I don't think that's a terrible number as far as giving the other guys a spell and as far as their development is concerned. If that number was creeping down, we've seen nights in the past where the Rangers are only using their bottom pair like 10 to 12 minutes in a game. I think that would be a little more glaring. But I think if they're in that 14, 15, 16 minute a night range you can live with that. You feel like they're getting enough ice time to learn and grow and get some experience. But at some point, you got to look at which guys give us the best chance to win. And right now, undoubtedly, that's Fox and Lindgren, Truba and Miller. So I, I don't really think it's much of an issue. I'm not concerned with it by any stretch at this point. I agree. With your question here, when you say that there's a gap between the two, the, the the first and second pairs, and then the third, but I don't think it's a quote unquote bad thing. I think that's just the reality of the situation, and I don't think there's going to be many circumstances where you're playing your bottom pair as much as you're playing your top two pairs. So I think right now the Rangers are very comfortable with where it's at, and the biggest concern I think was would they give Jones an opportunity to play. Because you got to find out what you have in this kid. And frankly, he's earned it. And so far, they're mostly doing that. And that was kind of your main concern coming out of camp. And so far, so good in that regard. All right. Let's now get to our final question. And a lot of people last night were sending this one my way. So it's really a lot of people whose question I'm addressing here, not just one person. And that is... The news that came out, the first person I saw that had it was Pierre LeBrum. I know Gary Bettman, the commissioner, had a press conference in New York City on Tuesday where he spoke about the possibility, and this is a new possibility, not many people had heard about this prior to Tuesday, that maybe, just maybe, the salary cap will increase more than we expected it to for next season. The projection we've been hearing for over a year now is that it would go up just $1 million next season, which would put it at $83.5 million. That would have left the Rangers in a really difficult spot, with about $18.5 million by my projection, with about 10 to 12 players to sign, and that includes some really important players like Keandre Miller, Alexi Lafreniere, and Philip Hedl a $4 million increase, which is what Pierre and others reported on Tuesday that Bettman said could be the case now. Now, it's not locked in, but they're floating this as a possibility, and that tells me that they think there's a real chance. An increase of $4 million instead of $1 million would be massive for many teams in the league, and especially the Rangers. That would push their available salary cap space for next summer to about $21.5 million. And they'd still need to squeeze about 10 to 12 players in for that amount of money. So it remains pretty tight. But you can feasibly figure out a way where they can pay Miller. They can play Lafreniere. And to me, the guy who this might make the biggest difference for is Philip Hedl. I wrote as one of my predictions at the beginning of the season that I think is going to have a good year and that could ultimately price him out of New York. But this could make the difference between keeping Hegel or not, potentially. Now, the type of season that all these guys are going to have is going to make a huge difference in the bottom line here. We don't know what their salaries are going to look like because we don't know what they're going to be able to command based on how well they play this season. But again, if you're talking about 21 and a half million dollars, I've said before on the conservative side, maybe between Miller and LaFreniere, you're looking at 8 to 10 million to pay both of those guys. Again, this is just a guess at this point because if both those guys are all-star caliber this season then that changes, or if one of them has a bad year, that could change. But 8 to 10 maybe you could squeeze the two of them in for about that amount. That would leave you with 11, 12, $13 million to fill out the rest of your roster. And a lot of those are going to have to be cheap guys, younger guys, potentially like a Brennan Offman, like a Will Cooley, but, but it becomes much more feasible for them to then maybe be able to, hopefully they would, I would assume, because I don't think you're going to find many third line centers with the upside that Philip has be able to keep Hedl. They've got some other guys coming off the books as well. Sammy Blay, Vitali Kratsoff, Zach Jones. They're going to have some tough decisions to make on those guys. But man, I'm telling you right now, I think Chris Drury and a lot of other GMs would be doing cartwheels if they get that $4 million increase, which would push the salary cap up to $86.5 million for next season. That would be huge. A lot of these contending teams are squeezed really, really tight right now. And that breathing room would be would be a huge get for a lot of these teams. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. It's going to depend on escrow and whether the players can finish paying off their escrow this season. That's been a lingering effect from the lost revenue during the COVID-19 pandemic. So Will they generate enough revenue this season to fully pay off that escrow? It sounds like there's a lot of optimism about that right now. And we're not going to get a final answer for a while. But again, the fact that Bettman threw this out there, if he didn't think there was a realistic chance, I don't think he would have floated the possibility. that That's just my hunch at this point. And so you can maybe start to cross your fingers and hold out some hope that maybe the Rangers will have more salary cap space for this coming summer than we thought. I still don't think that means they're going to be in a position to go out and make a huge free agent signing, but I think it puts them in a better position to retain the most important players on the roster right now and then maybe add a little bit on the fringes if there is a position that they feel like they need to address. So that's very good potential news for the Rangers and for the rest of the league and for the players because let, let's face it, the higher the salary cap goes, the more the players can make and their salaries because of the flat salary cap era have been stagnant for quite a few years now. And I know a lot of them w- would very much appreciate if they could start to get a little more breathing room in that regard. So we will see how that plays out. That will do it for this week's show. We're going to call it here. Thanks to Julie for taking the time to come on. Thanks to everybody who submitted questions for the mailbag this week. Thanks to everybody who listens and subscribes as Always, I'm going to go and finish putting the final touches on this podcast, have some dinner with the family, and get ready for some playoff baseball tonight. I don't know about you guys, I love playoff baseball. It's especially exciting when the New York teams are involved, and we got the Yankees and the Astros tonight. i got no NHL game to cover, so I'm going to be able to be locked in on my couch, maybe a nice beverage in hand, and enjoy some playoff baseball tonight. So I'm looking forward to that. Maybe you guys are too. I know you guys are looking forward to hockey. I'll have coverage from the garden on Thursday, and then I'll be back with another podcast next week. Until then, be well, take care, and enjoy the rest of it. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.